The School at the Chalet, Eleanor M. Brent Dreyer. Chapter 1, Madge Decides. If only I knew what to do with you girls, said Dick in worried tones. Oh, you needn't worry about us, replied Madge. Talk sense. I'm the only man there is in the family, except great-uncle William, and he's not much use. Jolly well he isn't. Poor dear. He's all gout and crutches. Well, then, I ask you. She got up from her seat on the settee and walked across the room to her brother. Dear old Dick, you really mustn't worry about Joey and me. We shall be all right. He lifted his fair, boyish head to look at her. Not pretty in the strict sense of the word, yet Madge Bettany was good to look at. She was slight to the verge of thinness, with a well-poised head covered by a mop of curly, dark brown hair. Her eyes were dark brown, too, the color of old brown sherry, and were shaded by long, up-curling black lashes. Dark eyes and hair presupposed an olive complexion, but there Madge had deserted the tradition of the Bettany women, and her skin showed the Saxon fairness of her mother's family. Her mouth was wide, but with well-cut lips, and her slender figure was as erect as a young poplar. There was enough likeness between her and Dick, despite the disparity of coloring, to proclaim them unmistakable brother and sister. Now she slipped a hand through his arm, as she announced, "'I've got a plan all ready for us.' "'Let's hear it,' he commanded. "'Well, the best thing is to go over all the possibilities.' "'Oh, for heaven's sakes! Don't make a long story of it,' he implored. "'All right.' "'But I want you to see my point, so that means it's going to be something you think I shan't approve of,' he said shrewdly. "'Well, get on with it. Let's hear the worst.' "'You see,' began his sister, balancing herself on her toes, "'whatever happens, Joey and I must keep together. We are all agreed on that point. But there's no money, or at any rate very little. You can't keep us on your pay. That's quite out of the question. So last night—' I thought and I thought, after I had gone to bed, and honestly, I think my plan's the only one possible. Oh, for heaven's sakes, cut all that out, groaned her brother. What do you want to do? Start a school, was the sufficiently startling reply. Start a school? He stared at her. My good girl, that sort of thing requires capital, which we haven't got. Yes, I know that, as well as you do, retorted his sister. At least it does in England. But I wasn't thinking of England. My dear girl, it's an awful undertaking to run a school, and you look such a kid. Who on earth would have you as head? And anyway, you haven't told me yet where you want this blessed school, he protested. You don't suggest coming out with me to India and starting it there, do you? No, of course not. Though, if there hadn't been for Joe to consider, I might have done it. "'But we couldn't keep her there, and I won't leave her in England. "'So what I've thought of is this. "'Do you remember that little lake in the Austrian Troll "'where we spent the summer five years ago, the Tarnsey?' "'Rather topping little place right up in the mountains, "'about an hour's train run from Innsbruck, wasn't it? "'You went up in the mountain railway from some rummy little town or other. "'I forget its name. "'Sparts!' supplied his sister. Yes, that's the place. It was gorgeous air up there, and you could live there for next to nothing. 
Is that where you mean to have your school? She nodded. Yes, there was a big chalet there which would be topping. It was not too far from the lake, near the steamer, and yet it was away from the paths. I shouldn't want a large number, not at first at any rate, about twelve at the most, and counting Joey. I should want girls from twelve, fourteen, or fifteen. I would teach English subjects. Mademoiselle La Pretre would come with us, and she would take the French and German, and the sewing, too. Music we could get at Innsbruck. She stopped and looked at Dick somewhat doubtfully at this juncture. A frown was robbing his face of half its boyishness. He knew very well that Madge had set her heart on this subject, and that he had neither the strength or the will or the authority to turn her from her purpose. They were twins, and all their lives long she had been the one to plan for them both. If she had determined to start this school, nothing he could say or could do to prevent her. Their only relatives besides great-uncle William, before mentioned, were two aunts, both married and both with large families and small means. "'It's no use appealing to the aunts,' she said. "'Just consider how we are situated. "'We are orphans, with a sister twelve years younger than ourselves to be responsible for. "'Our guardian got his affairs into a frantic muddle, "'and then conveniently for him died, leaving us to face the music. "'You're in the forest, and your furlough is up in three weeks' time. "'Joey's delicate, and shouldn't live in a wet climate. "'And between us we seem to have some fairly decent furniture, "'this house, and six thousand pounds in East India stock, "'at four per cent, or something over two hundred pounds a year. Forty over,' interjected Dick. "'We can't live on that in England.' "'She went on, unheeding the interruption. "'Even if I did get a post in the school,' It would mean school fees for Joe. But we could manage in Austria. It's healthy, the Tarnzee, and it's a new idea. I know of one child I could have for the asking, Grizel Cochran, and we'd have to advertise for the others. I don't see why we shouldn't make it pay in time. What about apparatus? Suggested Dick. You'd want desks and books and so on, I suppose. Get them in Innsbruck. My suggestion is that we sell most of the things here, keeping only what we absolutely need, and buy out there. I went over the chalet while we were there a fortnight ago. I wrote to Frau Piffin. Her answer came this morning, and I wanted to know if the chalet was vacant, and if it was not, and if there was any other place she could recommend. It is vacant, and she thanks the owner-manager of the Crone Pins Carl, that big hotel not far from the boat landing, would let me have it all right. I wouldn't have agreed to the idea if you had consulted me, he replied. As it is, I suppose I must say yes. You'll do as you like, whether I agree or not. I know that. But you've got to promise me one thing. I'll see, returned his sister cautiously. What is it? "'that you'll cable me at once if anything goes wrong, "'and that you'll write at least once a week, oftener if you can.' "'All right, I agree to that. "'Now, will you go and fetch Joey? "'And we'll tell her. "'I know she's a bit anxious about what's going to happen, 
but I couldn't say anything till I discussed it with you. She's upstairs reading, I think. Joe reads entirely too much, he grumbled as he went to the door. That's one thing I hope you'll alter in the little thing. She'll have plenty to take her out of doors, replied his sister serenely. She really needs other companions. Call her, old thing. His yell of Joey resounded through the house a second later and was answered by a shriek of coming. There was the sound of flying footsteps and a thud in the hall. And then Joey, or to give her her proper name, Josephine, fell rather than ran into the room. Anything less like Madge and Dick, it would have been hard to imagine. Her cropped black hair was so straight as almost to be described as a link. Her big black eyes made the intense whiteness of her face even more startling than it need have been, and her cheeks and temples were hollow with the continual ill health. Like her brother and sister, she had been born in India, but unlike them, had come home at the early age of seven months. The frail baby, who had never known her mother or father, had thrived in the soft Cornish air of their home till she was four years old. Then a neglected cold had brought on an attack of pneumonia from which she had barely struggled back to life. Since then her health had been a constant worry to those who had charge of her. What made things still more difficult was the fact that Miss Joey possessed at least five times as much spirit as strength, and fretted continually at the restrictions they were obliged to enforce. The exertion of her flight downstairs brought on a bad fit of coughing, and until it was over and she was laying back on the sofa, whiter than ever with exhaustion, there was no thought of telling her the news. "'I say, old lady,' Dick began, "'you mustn't sprint about like that.' Joe lifted her eye to his. "'I'm sick of don'ts,' she remarked. "'Why did you call me, Dick? "'Anything settled about us yet?' "'I suppose so,' he growled. "'But just listen to me for a minute. "'I'm sorry you're sick of don'ts, "'but I think you might have a little more consideration for Madge. "'You know how she worries when you cough.' "'Sorry, old thing,' Joe sent up a little smile at her sister. "'I was so anxious to hear. I forgot not to dash round. What are we going to do? I can see it's all fixed.' "'Yes, it's fixed,' replied Madge. "'It's my own idea, and I hope you'll like it.' "'Well, what is it?' "'Madge is going to run a school.' "'Madge? Run a school?' Joe sat bolt upright. "'No, she's much too young.' "'I'm twenty-four, began Madge heatedly, when Dick interrupted her. "'You listen to me, my kid. Remember the Tarnsey? Rather. "'Well, you're going there. Madge will open the school in that big chalet, not far from the lake. "'Mademoiselle Lapotre will come with you and look after you both, and help with the school.' "'What a simply ripping idea! When are we going? Before you do, Dick?' "'Who are the pupils?' Don't be silly. Of course you can't go yet. There's this house and furniture to see about, and Madge will have to buy her paraphernalia in Innsbruck. Dick, Madge interrupted, I don't think there'll be much trouble about selling the house. You know the Corin mine people want a place for their manager to live in, and it's within quite decent distance of the mine. Don't you think they might buy it? 
Good idea. Yes, I should think they might. It's the sort of place they want, of course. I'll take a stroll up to old Everson and get him to see it through. Since we'll all be going sooner, we get the business over, and quite the better. I'll go and see the Cochrans, decided Madge. I know they'll be thankful to get rid of poor little Grizel. What fee shall I ask, Dick? Do you think three sixty a year would be too much? Sounds rather a lot, said Dick dubiously. It's only what most decent schools charge. I've got some prospects to see. Well, I'll get along and see old Everson while you interview the Cochrans. What are you going to do, Joey? It's too wet for you to go out, said Dick. I'm going to finish Quentin Darwood, returned Joe firmly. You'll take all our books, won't you, Madge? Most of them, anyway. But you needn't start to pack them yet. This is only March, and we shan't be going till next month at the earliest. Joe returned to her little bedroom, where a blaze of fire revealed the gloom of the rainy day and her well-beloved books awaiting her. "'Best thing in the world for her,' observed Dick, when she had gone. "'Well, I'm off to settle old Everson. "'Insist on this, his doing things at once, Dick. "'I want to get off and be settled before the summer visitors arrive at the Tarnsey. "'He'll want us to play round till September, if I know anything about lawyers. "'And it makes no difference, really, because I've made up my mind to go. "'Mademoiselle will be thankful to get away from England, too.' "'You're sure it's all right about her coming. "'Yes, I spoke to her a week ago, "'and she said if you consented she would come. "'Right-o. Well, so long. "'Hope you get Grizel, kid.' "'And with this Dick turned and left the room "'while Madge ran upstairs to get her raincoat and hat "'before she too ventured out into the hurricane of wind and rain "'with which March had arrived that year.' to seek her first pupil for the chalet school. Chapter 2. Grizel Seated at the old schoolroom piano, Grizel Cochran was diligently practicing scales and exercises. She had no real love of music, but her father insisted that she must learn, and since she must learn, then also she must practice. Her stepmother, whom Grizel hated with all the intensity of her childish soul, had decreed that although this was her last day at home the dreary hour of scales and exercises must be done as usual thank goodness i shall be away from all this after to-morrow she thought i love miss bethany and joe is a dear i'm glad i'm going away from england glad i'm leaving them they don't want me and i can't endure them tears pricked at the back of her eyes at this thought but she resolutely drove them back. At fourteen and a half, Grizel Cochran had realized she was decidedly an unwanted member of the Cochran family. Her mother had died when she was five. After her death, Mr. Cochran had sent the child to his mother's and led a bachelor life for the next five years. On Grizel's tenth birthday, he had married again, most unaccountably, without informing his second wife of the fact that he had a daughter that she discovered when they reached home after the honeymoon. To find Grizel awaiting them on the steps, at first Mrs. Cochran insisted that the child must go to boarding school. 
Her husband calmly replied that one reason for his second marriage was that he wanted Grizel under his own roof. He also pointed out that if she were sent away at once, people would talk. She desired that less than anything, so she gave way. Grizel went daily to a big high school in the neighborhood and nominally, at any rate, received the same care and attention as any of her friends. But life at her grandmother's had spoiled her in many ways, and before long she and her stepmother were at daggers drawn with each other. Mr. Cochran, never a particularly loving parent, refused to interfere. By sole degree, the willful, high-spirited child gradually became a frightened, nervous creature, who did as she was bidden with a painful readiness. Later she became the excuse for many scenes, and on the day when Madge Bettany set off in the wind and rain to secure her for the chalet school, Mr. Cochran had at last given way, the greed to send her away. Then the great question had been where? To them, considering the point, had come Madge, and with her complete resolution of the problem. It was satisfactory from all points of view. Grizel's father realized that if she were sent away with such an old friend as Madge Bettany, it would give rest to any gossip in the little town, which was beginning to conjecture at the cause of her loss of spirit. Mrs. Cochran rejected it in the fact that it would be sheer absurdity for her to make the long journey from Innsbruck to Cornwall for any holiday but the summer holidays. Grizel herself only wanted to get away, anyway, from her present surroundings, and Madge went home thrilling to the fact that she had gained her first pupil. For the next fortnight or so everyone had been kept busy. Grizel found herself condemned to sitting and sewing, named ta- tape on the new stockings and gloves and handkerchiefs, as well as having to endure various trying-ons, and any other time she would have resented all this intensi- intensely. Now it was, for her, just part of the joy of going away. Madge had been unable to say at first when they would go. But Dick, having applied for and received a month's long furlough, bustled their old scholar to such an extent that the middle of April found them with house and furniture sold, boxes packed, and everything ready. What was more, the chalet school had two other pupils in prospect. Mademoiselle was bringing a little cousin, Simone, from Paris, and a business friend of Mr. Cochran's, an American, had been fired with enthusiasm over the school, and had written asking Miss Bettany if she could find room for his twelve-year-old Evandine next term. To Grizel it seemed almost impossible that it could be she who, on the morrow, would be taken up to London by her father, unusually indulgent, and there given over to Miss Brittany's charge, Madge and Joe had left their old home early in the previous week in order to pay farewell visits to such relatives as remained to them. "'It's too good to be true,' thought Grizel ecstatically. "'And that's ten o'clock, thank goodness!' She finished off the scale of A-flat, melodic minor, 
in grand style and then shut down the lid of the piano with a bang. She had heard her stepmother go out a few minutes previously, so she ran down to the kitchen where the cook, who adored her and spoiled her when it was possible, welcomed her with a wide smile and made haste to proffer a rock bun. "'Just out of the oven, Miss Grizel,' she said. Grizel accepted it and sitting on the table munched it with good appetite this time tomorrow i shan't be here she said no lovely it'll be the train this time tomorrow replied the good woman in her soft sing-song voice and then paris the next day and then innsbruck next week grizel spoke exultingly ah oh, cookie i'm so thrilled i'm so thrilled i can't keep still ah oh, it's a lot you'll be seeing, Miss Grizel, and you'll write to Cookie and tell her all about the grand sights and then fur and cities, won't you? Of course I will, Cookie dear. I'll write you as often as I can. And Grizel jumped down from her perch and flinging her arms around Cook's neck, gave her a hearty hug. I'll write you you every week if I can. There's a love. And Miss Grizel, dearie, I was over to Bodum last night, and I got this for you to remember Cookie by. Oh, Cookie, how dear and kind of you. Whatever can it be? Grizel took the narrow parcel, fe feeling its shape with childish curiosity, before she opened it. A little scream of ecstasy broke from her as she realized what it was, a beautiful waterman fountain pen. Oh, Cookie! and I've always wanted one so much. The tears stood in her gray eyes as she carefully examined it. Cook looked down at the small, flushed face, felt rewarded for her long tramp of the night before, and for the sacrifice of a new spring hat, which had been necessary to buy the pin. I've nothing to give you, said Grizel, suddenly sad in her tone. You'll be giving me your news, lovely. Maybe a picture postcard or two. That's all I'll be wanting from you. Now, you'd better go, Miss Grizel. The, the mistress only went down to the butcher's, and she won't like it if she finds you in here. Grizel nodded. With a final hug and a kiss, she turned and ran upstairs to her own little room, cuddling her new possession. Some paper lay on the little dressing table, and she tried the pen on it. Cook had had it filled already, and it was a beauty, neither too fine nor too broad. She wrote her name with a flourish several times, and then, hearing Mrs. Cochran's steps on the stairs, tucked it away in her attaché case and screwed up the bits of paper, thrusting them into her pocket just in time. When her stepmother entered the room, she was standing gazing out of the window and whistling softly. Mrs. Cochran frowned at her. Grizel, I have told you before that I will not allow whistling. Kindly obey me. As long as you are under this roof, you will do as I tell you. Grizel obeyed. The disciplining of the past three years had taught her the value of unquestioning obedience, if it had taught her nothing else. You had better put on your outdoor things and come with me, went on her stepmother. You ought to say good-bye to the rector and Miss Fraham, and I have to go to the rectory. Hurry up now, and brush your hair, and be downstairs in ten minutes' time. 
she left the room, and Grizel did as she was bidden. But all the time that she was putting on the new blue traveling coat and changing into her outdoor shoes, she was murmuring softly to herself, "'Only today left. Only just today. Tomorrow will soon be here now.' Walking demurely, at her stepmother's side, she went down the garden path, which was already bordered with wallflowers and tulips, gaily a nod in the spring breeze, and out into the street, where they met two of the girls from her old school. "'You will want to say good-bye to your friends,' said Mrs. Cochran graciously. She was always gracious in public. "'I will wait for you at the rectory, but don't be too long.' as there are still one or two things I want to do. She passed on, and Grizel was left with them. It's tomorrow you go, Grizel, isn't it? the elder of the two girls said. Fourteen Rosalie Dean, by the name. Aren't you sorry to leave home? Hitherto Grizel's pride had kept her from making any revelations about home matters. Now somehow it didn't seem to matter. She would not come home for more than a year, for she was to stay with the Beth Bethanies at the summer. "'Sorry?' she said fervently. "'I'm not sorry. I'm glad. Glad, I tell you.' "'Griselle!' gasped Rosalie. "'Glad to leave home and go right away?' "'Tisn't like your home,' replied Gazelle somberly. "'You've a mother.' "'Well, but you have Mrs. Cochran, and I'm sure she's awfully sweet to you.' "'Yes.' "'when there's anyone there to see it,' replied Grizel recklessly. "'The two schoolgirls stood in horrified silence. "'They didn't know what to say.' "'Grizel spoke, breaking the spell. "'She held out her hand. "'I must be going,' she said briefly. "Goodbye. Write to me sometimes.' "Goodbye," Rosalie said flatly. "'Of course I'll write, if you will.' "'I'll send you some postcards,' responded Grizel. "Goodbye, Mary.' Mary, the other child, mumbled something in farewell, and then Grizel ran off, leaving them still staring at her. "'Well!' ejaculated Rosalie at last. "'Did you ever?' "'Never!' replied Mary, with finality. "'I didn't think Grizel Cochran was like that.' "'I wonder what Mother will say,' said Rosalie thoughtfully. "'What Mrs. Dean actually said when she heard her daughter's story was, "'Poor little dear!' I hope she will be happy in Austria then. Meanwhile, Grizel hurried to the rectory, where her stepmother was waiting for her, and took leave of the rector and his sister, both of whom were fond of her. They had farewell gifts for her, too, in the shape of a new kipling and a big box of chocolates, and she said good-bye to them with real regret. They had always been kind to her. After the rectory visit, Mrs. Cochran took her into the town to do some shopping, and it seemed to the little girl that never before had they met so many acquaintances in one morning. Everyone was very kind and wished her good luck, and a pleasant journey. One or two told her that they envied her visit to a foreign country, and most people begged for postcards. Grizel promised them to all and sundry and all the time her heart was beating madly with delight to think that this was the last time for many a long month that she would be here. Then they went home to lunch, and after it was over, her stepmother dismissed her to the moors, where she ran about like a wild thing, 
Still, the little silver watch on her wrist warned her that it was nearly tea time, and she had better turn homeward. Her father came in for tea and brought with him a folding brownie Kodak in a neat leather case with a strap to sling across her shoulders. The general atmosphere of kindness seemed to have infected even Mrs. Cochran, and so that last evening passed off well. The next day, Mr. Cochran took her up to the town and gave her into Madge Bettany's charge at Victoria. Miss Retro Reads is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is an app that helps you record your podcasts, edit it, insert music or sound effects, or even background music. There's so much more you can do with this app than I do. And they distribute it wherever you're listening to it right now. So thanks, Anchor, and thank you for listening to Miss Retro Reads.